AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Signs of life in the corn market today with futures eyeing the upside. Soybeans a little more sluggish, still in positive territory with wheat up double digits. Well, front contracts aside, all appears to be well with the markets. So we'll talk sentiments in farm country and then focus on ethanol, energies, and look ahead to next year on our Farmer Forum. From the day that we'll live in infamy via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk This Morning. We'll begin with a conversation with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University. Then it's our Farmer Forum with panelists Dwayne Faber and Ken McCauley. Right after the news, Margie Eckelkamp from The Scoop. I'm your host, Davis Michelson. Welcome to AgriTalk, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on your favorite radio station or your preferred digital device. Chip is sojourning. He'll uh, he'll be back tomorrow morning with uh, lots to talk about. I'm sure he's he's off. Uh, well, it's meeting season is the thing. It's it's kind of starting now. Harvest is pretty much wrapped up, and so uh, there's there are meetings afoot, places to go, people to see. And uh, so Chip is taking full advantage of that, and I'm happy to step in here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Hope you're doing well. Uh, it's uh, it's a Wednesday morning. It's our Farmer Forum. We've got two great guests here, uh, Dwayne Faber and Ken McCauley. There's a whole range of topics that I have in my notes here and that uh, the fellas and I have, have kind of jotted back and forth uh, so we'll we'll see where the conversation goes we'll kick around some ideas see where their heads are at um and dr jim mintert from purdue university you know every month uh dr mintert swings by to update us on the purdue university cme group ag economy barometer um this one is is interesting not entirely surprising although there are some items that i want to ask Dr. Mintert about specifically, you know, I'm interested in the land stuff, but there's also some stuff on the fertilizer side that his findings are revealing that I find rather interesting. I want to talk about that with Dr. Mintert and with uh, with Dwayne and Ken as well to uh, see what they make of it. Uh, so uh, with that, why don't we uh, go ahead and get, uh, get to today's news where Democratic incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock has defeated GOP challenger Herschel Walker. In Georgia's Senate runoff race, that gives the Democrats majority numbers on all Senate panels, which will accelerate approval of judicial nominations. The Senate ratio for the next Congress is now 51 Democrats to 49 Republicans. The Department of Transportation has rejected a request from livestock producers looking for an exemption to federal driving time regulations for truckers. National livestock groups have expressed their displeasure and are urging Congress to support expanded hours of service flexibility. Representative Dan Newhouse, a Washington state Republican, says livestock haulers have different needs than other truckers because of the live cargo they're carrying. You know, the the livestock industry truly has some valid and unique 
requirements in order to transport animals. And I think that the Department of Transportation has to recognize that for many reasons. Well, a poll of voters commissioned by the International Dairy Foods Association shows strong support for reforming immigration policy as a way to help control food prices. Nearly 90% of Democrat voters and 79% of Republican voters support the idea of immigration reform. Now, when asked about the price of food, it was an almost unanimous 94% who said that rising food prices are a problem in America. It turns out over 40% of the voters see a connection between immigration issues and rising food costs. Immigration issues are something that we keep a real close eye on. It's a, it's an important issue for, for uh, the ag industry at large. And when we see consumers noting the connection between immigration issues and rising food costs, uh, that quite literally uh, hits one in the breadbasket. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association welcomed the release of the final rule from the USDA to establish the Cattle Contract Library Pilot Program. This program was authorized following NCBA's congressional engagement on the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2022. NCBA Senior Director of Government Affairs Tanner Boehmer said, quote, We are hopeful that this pilot program will strike an appropriate balance between offering cattle producers additional insight into the market while also protecting their proprietary business information. We have been looking for this cattle contract library uh, for quite some time now. We'll see if this pilot program sticks. USDA and other witnesses testified before the Senate Ag Committee yesterday on the need to fund updated ag research in the new farm bill. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley said before the hearing that cutting-edge ag research funding has been neglected in past farm bills. The United States is falling way behind our competitors in investing in ag research. China is now the largest funder of ag research and development. Now, Chuck Grassley wasn't alone. USDA Research Chief Shavonda Jacobs-Young echoed Grassley's sentiments, saying this. Federal investments in agriculture research have declined by a third in the past two decades, falling far behind our international partners. Once the world's leader... The United States now trails far behind other major nations in public agriculture research investments. USDA's Economic Research Service, that's ERS, released the 2022 edition of its America's Farms and Ranches at a Glance report. Providing the latest stats on U.S. farms, ERS research economist Noah Miller says the numbers show that U.S. farming is still overwhelmingly a family biz. Noting 98% of U.S. farms are family-owned and operated And family farms account for 89% of all farms and operate 45% of all agricultural land. Now let's bring in Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop. Margie, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Davis. Just here to keep you a little bit of company behind that big leafy green microphone. Oh, it's so lonely. So lonely. Uh, Chip definitely leaves a void, doesn't he? He does. (laughs) He does. Now, I mentioned... uh, a little bit earlier on in my oration that it's conference season, and uh, evidently you were last week at an ARA conference. What'd you, what'd you find out? Yes, I was out in San Diego with the Agricultural oh, nice. Retailers Association for their annual conference. And in addition to it being just a great venue, it was also incredibly well attended, a very vibrant conference that had pre-COVID number of attendees. Wow. So wow. over 650 folks from across this segment of the industry coming together to 
really celebrate excellence in ag retail and also talk about the challenges. So when I say celebrating excellence, the retailer of the year was named, and that is Marion Ag Services that's headquartered out in Oregon. And when they gave their acceptance speech, they talked about a key theme in ag retail, and that is the trust of that farmer customer and how they how proud they are to be carrying that trust forward in the way they conduct their business. We at The Scoop also gave an award. We gave the Business Innovation Award to the team at Crops 63, which is part of Series Solution, the Indiana-based co-op. And they really have exemplified how to digitize and then automate all kinds of aspects of their business. And it started with their seed business and what they have been able to achieve in terms of zero shrink, accurate inventory management, and also elevating the type of work that retailers do. And of course, we talk about challenges. Again, helping reinforce that trust they have with the farmer customers, being agile, and facing the challenges of a very volatile inputs market. Margie Echelkamp from The Scoop, thanks for your time this morning. Your pal Davis Michelson here on AgriTalk. We've got Dr. Jim Minter from Purdue coming up next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide from FMC. Get serious seedling defense to defend against the toughest early season pests and diseases. Choose Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide for apt plant defense. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Davis Michelson here. Chip is traveling. It's meeting season. Uh, meeting season, and uh, he's off m- meeting. We'll we'll find out what he finds out tomorrow when we find out what he found out. Uh, right now, I'd like to talk to Dr. Jim Mintert. We get our monthly update from Purdue University's Ag Economy Barometer. Dr. Mintert, um, there wasn't much improvement in the November um, Economy Barometer. In fact, you might say there was. No improvement, but also no change to the downside. The index reads 102 for the month, unchanged from October. Welcome to AgriTalk, Dr. Minter. Your general thoughts on the barometer. Thanks, Davis. And you're right. There really was no change. The overall measure of sentiment, the Ag Economy Barometer, came in unchanged from last month. Uh, very, very small changes in the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations. And, and realistically, from a statistical perspective, no change in those either. 
Um, if you think about it, maybe the one thing that was a little bit positive was the fact the Farm Financial Performance Index did increase a little bit. I think it went from 86 to 91 this month. And maybe more importantly, when you look at it from kind of a little broader perspective and think about the fact that we're asking people to compare 2022 to 2021, both very good income years, uh, about two-thirds of the survey feels reasonably good about their farm's financial performance. So I think that's maybe a little bit more positive than what we've picked up in some prior months. It'll be interesting to see in the current survey, the one that we're doing right now, how people respond to expectations about 2023 versus 2022. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about that uh, financial uh, performance index there, um, that it it feels like farmers feel pretty good about how they're doing financially right now, and yet the current conditions index slipped three points on the month. How do we how do we justify those two? Well, I think when you think about the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations, really the both the story of both of those is people are pretty uneasy about where they're at mm -hmm. with respect to today and where we're headed. And I think that just reflects this tremendous amount of uncertainty that we have with respect to input cost, input availability, rising interest rates. You know, when we asked our question about uh, looking ahead to next year, what are your biggest concerns for farming operation? You know, people are focusing on the input side. That's really interesting, right? So 42% said higher input cost was their number one concern uh, looking ahead to next year. Number two was rising interest rates. Number three was availability of inputs. All three of those are on the input side. Those are the biggest mm -hmm. concerns people have. Lower crop and livestock prices came in about the same as availability of inputs. So I think that is kind of a unique perspective in the sense that ordinarily in agriculture, we don't worry that much about the inputs. We mostly worry about the outputs, both in terms of productivity, yield, for example, and prices. That's not the case right now. And I think that's created this tremendous angst and anxiety. And we're still picking that up on all the all the broader indexes, the barometer itself and the index of current conditions, index of future expectations. Well, let's elucidate that just a little bit as you're talking about the focus is on the inputs rather than the output. Um, it, is that a sign perhaps that prices are high enough? You know, you, you talked about the financial performance uh, and farmers seem to be fairly comfortable there. Um, were, were crop prices a little bit lower? W would we maybe see that flipped from concern to the inputs to the outputs? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, and I suspect we would. Although when we visit with people individually, I can tell, you know, if you look at prices, particularly the prices we've been able to reap for the 21 and 22 crops, clearly those are high enough to generate some very positive margins. When we look ahead to 23 and think about where those uh, new crop futures are, for example, on, on soybeans and corn, and think about where break-evens are headed on most farms, that's when people start to get nervous. And I think as we head into 23, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with respect to concerns that people have. Because the spread, the margin, is going to be much, much tighter in 23, unless something unusual happens that we don't currently anticipate. It looks like it's going to be quite a bit tighter. And I think what we're starting to pick up a, a little bit, uh, and it'll be interesting to see here over the course of the winter and into the early spring, people being worried about the tremendous investment they've got in that 23 crop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in my notes here, I have it at 42% of survey respondents listed those high input costs as their concern, uh, their top concern for the year ahead. 
the farm capital investment index dropped down to its record low of 31. Um, that that ties the record low, but uh, that feels like maybe with those high input costs in view, perhaps farmers are circling the financial wagons. Well, maybe, and I, that would probably be a good thing. I think if uh, one of the messages we've tried to get out to producers here in late fall is this idea that a lot of people have pretty positive taxable income for 22. Mm-hmm. And of course, this time of year, we focus on reducing tax exposure. The concern is folks might make some decisions right now that would erode their working capital. And so I think, uh, you know, that's that's a little bit of an issue. But when you think about that farm capital investment index, it's really become increasingly clear that people are telling us this is not a good time to make large investments because you can't get a good deal. Uh, primary reason ah. for, for the people who say it's it's a bad time to make those large investments. Consistently now, we've been asking this question going back to July, uh, what the primary reason is that they think it's a bad time to make investments. And the overwhelming response every single month now has been the increase in prices for farm machinery and new construction. So people aren't necessarily saying, I won't step out and buy that tractor or buy that disc or buy that planter. What they're saying is, I can't get a good deal. Therefore, it's not a good time to make a good investment or make a big investment. Well, that seems like a pretty uh, a safe, a healthy position for farmers to be in. I, I think it's a recognition that you need to be a little bit careful about what you invest in. But I, you know, when you look at the prices and you look at the order books, I mean, Deer talked about this when they released some of their uh, forecast for twenty three. Their order books are still full. Uh, you look at used prices at farm machinery, and I know you talked to machine repeat. I mean, those prices remain very, very strong. So we're still seeing a lot of activity there, um, but people aren't necessarily feeling great about it, but they're still making ahead, moving ahead. Uh, in, in some cases, you know, they need to make an investment. They held back for a while. This is an opportunity in a high-income year to, to make some investments. Um, so kind of, it's interesting to see how that's going to play out, particularly as we head into 23 and maybe 24 when this thing starts to loosen up with respect to supplies, because, um, you know, mach- machinery inventories are still relatively tight in most locations. Indeed, indeed. Um, let's talk operational changes. I found this very interesting. Just over one-fourth of respondents have made operational changes due to rising energy prices. Can you talk with us about that, please? Yeah, we we just thought it'd be interesting to find out what people are doing with respect to especially these high diesel prices. And so we asked that question, and then we followed up with the folks who said they've made some changes. And as you indicated, just a little over a fourth, I think it was 27%, said they've made some changes. We gave them a list of things as to you know what possible changes they might have made. And no big surprise in some respects, reduced tillage was number one. 33% of the people who said they've made a change said it was to reduce tillage. Uh, number two was reduce nitrogen rates or, or change the timing of application of nitrogen. Um, and then after that, you kind of had a potpourri of things. Re- uh, reduced crop drying was in there at 8%. Uh, I think adopted uh, or increased the usage of no-till planting was at 11%. And then, you know, we didn't have a complete list for everything because of the telephone survey. Uh, the other group category, the ubiquitous other group, uh, was 24%. So people are doing other things. And I, I think what it really points to is this idea is people are aware of how much energy costs have gone up. They know it's having a big impact on their cost of production. And they're looking for a multitude of ways to fine tune their operation and try and reduce their their usage of energy and try and bring back those uh, those cost increases or hold down those cost increases a little bit. 
Let's hit uh, quickly expectations on land values. Longer-term farmland value index, that's uh, looking out five years, was steady at 144. The short-term index declined slightly, uh, down four points on the month. Yeah, both of those indexes are still in what I would characterize as positive territory. They're less optimistic than people were this time last year. I think if you look at that short-term index and compare it to a year ago, it's down about 18%. Uh, the long-term index, which is always a little more positive than the short-term index, is down about 9% compared to a year ago. So people are less bullish than they were a year ago, uh, but we haven't completely lost all the bullishness, I guess is how I'd put that. And then, of course, we followed up with the folks who told us they expect to see farmland values rise over the next five years and said, what's the main reason why you think farmland values are going to rise? And the number one choice continues to be an expectation of non-farm investor demand supporting farmland values followed by inflation. Those two are the big drivers, according to producers, in terms of what they think is going to happen with respect to farmland values. Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue University, thank you for uh, elucidating the uh, ag economy barometer for us again this month. Uh, let's chat again ne- next month and, and see what you come up with. What say? All right. Thanks, Davis. We'll catch you next month. Appreciate it. Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue. All right. Coming up next, we're going to kick off our farmer forum. Uh, the fellows are standing by. We've got Ken Erickson and Dwayne Faber. We'll check in on the markets before that. Stick around, everyone. Glad you've tuned in. Davis Michelson in for Chip Flory on AgriTalk on this lovely morning. Stick around through these words. We'll be right back. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now. Senator Brian Grady is uh, at a meeting today, so we've got Varsity Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain stepping in. Joe, we appreciate you being here. Got a little strength in the corn market. Yeah, corn market's up today. Overall, it's been pretty darn sluggish. I think there are a lot of demand concerns when it comes to corn. First and foremost would be exports. We've got a bad pace of sales, bad pace of shipments. Uh, we're just not where we need to be. So a lot of people think that USDA may walk back its export projection for corn might be on friday might be next month but that's probably something that's coming uh, when you look at the soybean market a little bit different story it's acted really well uh, the meal has led the rally so far this week and i think that that is, is almost exclusively due to uh, weather in argentina it's like 104 degrees in argentina today david that's going to be the high and that's going to be the case almost every day this week they're trying to plant soybeans it's hot it's dry analysts, traders, everybody out there, they're walking back Argentina production estimates, estimates 
And some of the uh, like whisper numbers I've heard out there are like 10 million metric tons below what USDA's got penciled in. So ugly stuff. I'd probably call the wheat market more of like a dead cat bounce type situation here. I mean, you take $6 a bushel off SRW wheat. Are you going to see a 20 cent bounce in here? Uh, you know, here and there from time to time. Yeah. And we posted our lowest trade in SRW wheat, I think, since September of 2021 this week. Well, we've got the cattle market lower. Is it a no-brainer against the strength in corn? Uh, I guess that has something to do with it. But, you know, there's some questions that need to be answered here. Uh, cash cattle, most recently established trade in the south is like 155. Your nearby beef board is 51 and a half. Uh, I'd like to see some convergence here. Varsity Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain. Appreciate your time, brother. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. When news breaks, the newsmakers talk about it on AgriTalk with Chip Flory. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Perhaps we can lure Chip back with a little nickelback. Perhaps not. It's too late. The show's already underway. Davis Michelson here. Ken McCauley. Ken McCauley and Dwayne Faber coming up right after we sneak in today's Yields in the Fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. This morning, we'll head out to Brown County, Kansas. Brown County, Kansas. How y'all doing over there? Should finish NH3 for corn tomorrow. Then on to fixing terraces and such yields in the fields is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. All right, let's kick off our farmer forum. Ken McCauley, let's start with you, sir. Uh, good morning. Welcome to AgriTalk. Thanks for morning. spending some time with us. How are you? Morning, Davis. Oh, doing good. It's a little foggy here this morning, but uh, it uh, winters right around the corner. You get a little taste of it every other day, it seems like. It, yeah, indeed. Well, it, maybe it's kind of nice if it fires a couple of warning shots over the bow first. You get it. You get a chance to acclimate. Get a chance to get certain things done ahead of the the big deep freeze. Oh yeah, it uh, it's working pretty good though. You know, a lot of guys are enjoying the the open weather, and you get you know, I think most of the anhydrous around here is finished. Uh, guys are doing field work and a lot of things getting done that that sometimes you don't get done with the weather like if it closes closes in like it has in the past but it's been pretty wide open we've got some decent moisture i wouldn't say we got a lot of moisture but it's it's good enough that uh, you know the anhydrous sealed up and and uh, looks like we're in pretty good shape we get another good rain here like they're talking tonight and tomorrow mm-hmm. yep now just remind our listeners uh, generally what general area are you calling in from uh, we we farm here in northeast Kansas and Brown and Donovan County and uh, about an hour north of the Kansas City Airport, far northeast Kansas, see, two mile from the Missouri River and about four mile from Nebraska. So we get a taste of a lot of different things here, and you can see Iowa from our lookout point. So that's our one of our famous famous uh, sites here in, in White Cloud. Oh, it's got to be a huge selling point there that you can see the Talkhorn State from there. <laughs> oh yes <laughs> well i just i just read from our yields in the fields a farmer from brown county kansas this one's from about a week ago was finishing up nh3 and corn and then on to fixing terraces 
and such. You got a little and such going on at your place as well? Oh, yeah, and, and I'm not involved, directly involved. Brad and the employees are taking yeah. good care of all that. Uh, I, I'm the skid steer guy once in a while, and I can I can handle that skid steer really good. Uh, talk about fixing little things and just kind of touch up stuff. So it, uh, And then when you want to go somewhere, you just go. Let's bring in Dwayne Faber now. Dwayne, thanks for being on AgriTalk this morning. Appreciate you, brother. Do you, Dwayne, do you know anything about driving a skid steer? I, I do. I'm not trusted with it often. Uh, I, I have a record of, of not doing well with that, but uh, it, it, sometimes they'll let me play with it. So we've got uh, Northeast yeah. Kansas represented here by Ken. Dwayne, you're calling in from where? We're from Western Washington. So right now we're having our annual Dairy Federation meeting, which is the lobbying arm for the dairy industry in Washington State. And as a fun fact, it's their 130th anniversary. They were formed in 1892, while the state of Washington was wow. formed in 1891. And so it took only one year for farmers to recognize that there needs to be oversight of government, and they formed a lobbying group one year after the formation of the state of Washington. Wow. So we're at our annual meeting here and talking all things lobbying and politics and trying to keep everybody in line so what's top of mind over there among the dairy producers uh biggest threat is state of washington wants to put in 200 foot buffers and basically commandeer all land around creeks and streams and rivers uh ironically that same thought does not apply to to cities and towns and and houses but uh, in the agriculture rural community uh they want to take back 200 200 feet and start planting shrubs and trees and and taking it all back so that's the the current wow. hand yeah uh ken i hear you you're piping in there um there's <laughs> we've been critical of the 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 urbanites and their x amount of fill in the blank of uh lanes of traffic and yet asking farmers and ranchers to to make certain concessions for the sake of air and water quality, Ken, your thoughts? Well, if a lot of our fields around here, if you take 200 foot off of each side of a field, there isn't very much left. And my big complaint is we get zero credit for the things we've done. And I'm sure Dwayne feels the same way that, you know, you, you do all these things and then they want more. And uh, it's just ridiculous, uh, 200 feet. A state-by-state a -state yeah. approach feels appropriate on that, Dwayne. A hundred percent. And quite frankly, we're, we're the proving grounds for all things that are lunacy and don't make sense. And uh, unfortunately, the dairy industry and the ag industry in general in Washington state is kind of viewed as a minority that can be stepped on. And they, they try and create agriculture or paint agriculture as, you know, the black sheep and, and then cater to the Boeings and the Microsoft and the Amazon. And we're an easy kicking kicking dog and it mm -hmm. just it's a little frustrating but a lot of these policies that get started and dreamed up and on the west side of the country end up sneaking and floating their way into the midwest as well and so we are we are ground central for all things that are lunatic and you know pipe dreams for for big government so it's uh yeah it's uh, frustrating but it's 
part of the the calling and the task that we have out here. So. Well, that's exactly why you and the uh, the the good dairy uh, producers of, of Washington are meeting, yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, right? And and it's no longer we don't live in a time where you can just do good and and just kind of kind of live your life. You have to go out and do good, and then you have to go and tell the world that you're doing good. And and that's not something that comes naturally to farmers, right? We tend to be very inclusive, and we just want to yeah. mind our own business and do our own thing. Right. And yet, if we do that, uh, we're just going to get steamrolled, right? And if you are not at the table, then you're going to be on the table, and and they'll literally they'll literally pick you apart. And so there's uh, great work being done by farm bureaus and, you know, lobbying groups like I'm a part of out here that every day are just going there and fighting to, to stay, stay in business, right, and, and keep these industries alive. Well, and Ken, um, I've, I'm almost feeling like we could take out the word dairy from the things that Dwayne just said and put in <laughs> renewable fuels. Yeah, we sure could, uh, and you're, I'm hot off of the meeting meeting cycle too, Davis. Uh, we had our Kansas corn meeting yesterday, and and we did it all in a day. But uh, there was a lot going on, and then ethanol was kind of top of the list, except for how dry it is west of eastern Kansas, and really the two thirds of the state is extremely dry. So Jim Mentor's comments fit right into the <laughs> the Kansas barometer. I think if he if he did just a Kansas survey it would it would be a little bit different than uh, than uh, flat it'd be there they need rain desperate well and part of part of my concern with the with the epa and the way that they're proceeding uh with the rfs is that as we've said before they've they want cleaner air they want cleaner this they want a more healthy climate and all these sorts of things and they have an opportunity to do that with encouraging biofuel use and production, and yet it just just seems like they're unwilling to go in whole hog on the concept, and instead, let's all have electric cars. Well, you know, I've got some notes here, from, and it fits right in with our conversation today, that, that we're pretty happy with them designing three years of, of uh, objectives here. That's something mm-hmm. that hasn't been done, and the numbers are pretty good. Uh, I've told Chip before that we just need to make sure ethanol doesn't get diluted with all these e-rins and rins and renewable diesel. And you know, I've got I got a stake in the renewable diesel and the soybeans mm-hmm. also. So we we just don't want to give up what we've gained and what we've worked so hard for on the on the ethanol side. But you know, currently we've got uh, we've got a bill in the Senate, thanks to Senator Marshall and Moran for signing on to it. It's going to be uh, dropped in the house i think today about year-round e15 which would help immensely to get to those targets and even surpass so you know we've got a lot of a lot of support not just from farms from the farm commodity side and the corn groups but the sea stores and and a big group of the oil patch uh representatives are on board with uh, with a lot of these things that we're trying to move on so they know the importance of it but you know we are getting in their pocket as we as we move into higher blends. So sure. there's a lot of good news about it, and sure don't want to bash the part part that that we had. We're heading into into a good plan in even through 24 and into 25. So I I think that's a good the good news here. 
Dwayne, real quickly, can educate me. Can the good folks of Washington State pull into a local filling station and fill their vehicles up with clean burning ethanol? Is it available? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, there are a few places that advertise that they don't have ethanol, but uh, for the most part, I don't know the percentages and the blends on it. Sure. The West Coast here were notorious for for having, you know, pretty pretty unique uh, gasoline blends anyway. And actually, mm-hmm. January first, there's a cap and trade tax where fuel prices out here go up fifty cents. Oh, jeez. And and that's on farm diesel as well. And that's all cap and trade going for wow. for climate change and for carbon carbon reduction. So we're yeah. gonna we're gonna start there on the other side of this break here. Dwayne Faber and Ken McCauley here on AgriTalk on our Farmer Forum. We're glad that you are listening in, beloved listener. We've got just a little more on the other side of this. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. And welcome back to AgriTalk. Just a little more from the fellas on today's Farmer Forum. Davis Michelson here on AgriTalk. Ken McCauley from Northeast Kansas. And Dwayne Faber from the hippie-infested state of Washington. Faber, uh, let's go back to the, your closing comments from the previous segment. Gen 1 of 2023, did you say you're looking ahead to a 50-cent increase in gasoline and diesel prices? We are. Yeah, absolutely. This is a Washington State cap-and-trade bill that, after numerous attempts, was finally passed. And 50 cents is going to be going into a fund to help reduce carbon. And I mean, the silver lining in, in all of that is probably that the timber and dairy industries are the two industries best suited to quickly make changes to offset carbon or reduce carbon. Okay. And last year, there was $900 million available to farmers in California to spend on dairy farms to help reduce their carbon output. And it actually helped California attain their carbon goals. And so, yeah, I mean, we always kind of sell stuff we don't necessarily think has value potentially, but uh, here, here we're going into something where dairy is trying to position itself as a solution. And so a lot of these funds actually end up coming back to the dairy industry. And this whole calculation is incredibly, I mean, it's it's frustrating because the people that are doing a good job already, 
don't get credit for having a carbon reduction. So you have to do things really terribly, have a baseline, and then go and make uh, minor changes. And then those differences are your carbon credits. Well, then you can go and sell those carbon credits in perpetuity, which seems odd that one farm who's been doing things right for a while does not have any carbon credits to sell. And yet somebody that makes seemingly insignificant changes or, or changes that most everybody else is doing now has carbon credits annually to go and sell. And the whole calculation on, on how they work this is uh, fascinating, but it, for some people, will provide a bunch of opportunity. And this is kind of the way we're heading and what dairy is trying to position itself as a solution to the problem. Ken McCauley, um, Faber used a word, uh, I was going to use the word confusing, convoluted, maybe. He used the word fascinating. Uh, I feel like that's a gentle term for um, the idea of setting a baseline. And then, well, if, if we're improving from a position that's already pretty strong ecologically, conservationally, um, it, it's difficult to demonstrate progress. Well, fascinating is a nice, a nice term for something so egregious. But, you know, the, the, everybody's paying that 50 cents. I guess that's probably the only bright spot I see in that, that, that at least they're not slapping it all on us, but we're going to pay our, yep. you know, our fair share of that. But, but uh, you don't see too many things that are, that are actually being taxed across the board. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's just going to open the green light for more electric but you know eventually they're going to tax the electric stuff uh just as high because that they've got to feed that monster that the government out there is just just nuts but uh well i i 50 cents a gallon is a big hit on top of on top of where it was the um you know a month ago well and if we go back to dr mintert's comments i mean farmers are already making operational changes because of high energy costs, high diesel especially. Um, talk to me about what you've seen, Ken, if anything, along those lines in your neck of the woods. Well, I think we've, we've been, I, I think every farmer has been, you know, tightening up the belt over the last 10 years. But in the last year, uh, farmers have done a lot. They're talking about doing more. You're cutting out a pass on the herbicide. You're doing different things that way. Uh, Jim Mentor's comments were really, really on target with the, you know, some of the guys east of us in the flatter lands and blacker dirt haven't done quite the, haven't had the uh, extreme uh, constraints on their, on their budgets as much as some of us have. So that's, that's working. But, you know, you talk about if you don't have a crop for two years and the prospects for next year's crop look worse yet, especially the margins for next year. Mm-hmm everybody's doing all they can and they're doing the same thing here. Uh, you're, you're seeing less of about anything that can, you can do less of that's, that's probably a, the best way to put it here and maybe even across the country. Well said, well said, Dwayne Faber, you circle in the uh, financial wagons up there operationally. We are. And this interest rate thing is scary, right? And just talking to some of the the equipment dealers, they're seeing it. Everybody's tightening up on purchases that, uh, yeah, you get used to the elixir and the drug that is cheap money. And all of a sudden there's been a paradigm shift and you have to reevaluate where 
before you wouldn't even think twice about buying something. And now it's like, well, is that worth 7% a year? And it, it's going to make us better farmers and, and we're going to have to learn how to tighten the belt. But that interest rate risk is kind of kind of a dark cloud hanging over everyone. Indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, Ken, I, I appreciate your comments. And yeah, the, the struggle is real out there. Uh, just uh, you're in northeast Kansas, and I know that that western Kansas especially is super dry. Um, I'm I'm kind of in the area myself. There, it's it's dry in my backyard. How, what's it What's it going to take to get you back to feeling a little bit better about your prospects for crops next season? Well, I think you, we're going to have to get some rains and get a weather pattern that's better than it has been, uh, even for us. It's just east and south of us, and when that when it does that, it'll change back, but it doesn't change fast. But if you go west of here, there's no weather pattern to wish for except extreme change. And you know you've got you've got creeks down. You got there's not a lot of hope, but the resiliency of the farmers out there is unbelievable. That there's not a lot of bright light at the end of the tunnel out there. Mm-hmm. But those guys just keep saying it'll get better. And I really respect a, a lot of people looking at, at that scenario. And well they've got a, <laughs> they deserve a lot of respect. Well said. Absolutely. I'd second that. Ken McCauley from Northeast Kansas. Dwayne Favor from the great state of Washington. Keep up the fight, brothers. I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, David. Take care. All right. Well. That wraps us up for uh, Big Apple Joe Stackler and all of us here at AgriTalk. Thanks for tuning in. Come back this afternoon at 206 Central. I'll chat with Dan Huber and tune in tomorrow morning. We'll find out who cheap meat is with.